Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning. Come on in and pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborne. And I'm Amanda Miller, and we are so excited to have you with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cameron Clutters, our broisto, and today the church celebrates the feast day of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. And our good friends, Father Bob Penhollerick and Lori Crock, are with us in the cafe this morning to chat about missionary discipleship. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Dave. He starts with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you for your goodness and for your blessings. Lord, we ask that you are just intimately close to us this day. Actually make us intimately close to you because you are always, always closer to us than we are to ourselves. Help us to be aware of you, to love you, to know you, to be your hands and your feet, to love those who we encounter today. Grant us patience, understanding, knowledge, love, courage. Just do whatever that you've asked us today and to be attentive to your word. We pray all this through the intercession of Mary and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, officially the patron saint of immigrants and hospital administrators, and we learned unofficially... She's the patron of parking spaces. <laughs> Actually, Cam Didn't... told us this story this morning. <laughs> I was like, wait, literally just because she's from New York? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody has to do it. I mean, that's a huge intercessor yeah. right there. Yeah. Cam, tell us the little jingle prayer. It goes something along the lines of Mother Cabrini, Mother Cabrini, me, find me a spot for my machini. Um, <laughs> But I, the thing is, is it works, too. Like, I know it's an unofficial patronage for her, but she does find people parking spaces. There you so, go. Yeah. So, I mean, she's owning it up there. So if you're looking for a parking space today, there you go. Right. Well, I'm trying to think around Columbus where the worst place to park is. I mean, downtown, maybe. Yeah, well, it's got to be downtown. Well, I mean, Westerville but... doesn't have much of a problem. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> mostly, mostly though, just because I'm cheap and I hate paying for parking. So I will drive around until I find a space on the street without a meter. That's me. <laughs> no, I'm the same way. But in New York, I know, you take what you find. Yeah. I mean, so yep. Just Mother Caprini. <laughs> pray for my machini. <laughs> So we had the summit on Saturday, we the evangelization did. summit over at Ohio Dominican University. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Yeah. It was so good. Got to chat with a number of our cafe friends. Yeah, I think that was just so encouraging and exciting to get to yeah, meet people who are a part of our everyday cafe. And mm-hmm. uh, Michael from Elizabeth Ann Seton yeah. yeah, met us on the way into Erskine Hall and Shared some of his uh, thoughts on the cafe, all positive. He enjoys listening and then shared a story of his ministry with us. So, Michael, thank you very much. And you met a lady named Joe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and same thing. She just 
um, enjoys the cafe and I was just so glad to meet her and yeah I'm glad that we have a space like this that we we started this cafe for an opportunity to come together as you know Christian family and mm-hmm. to get to share uplifting stories and start our day together so and I think she enjoys the same thing so over cups of coffee that's right or, co- or a coffee like beverages coffee and Jesus <laughs> What a great way to start the day. And our friends, Father Bob Penhollerick and Lori Crock, are with us this morning. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Good morning. Father Bob, you are the pastor at St. Brendan the Navigator. Correct. In Hilliard. Yep. Tell us about St. Brendan the Saint. I'm not very familiar with St. Brendan. Well, there's more than one St. Brendan saint. The navigator. So that's why um, Father Walter Petra, my predecessor, originally the parish was just called St. Brendan's. Okay. Um, but during his tenure as pastor, he uh, got permission to change the name to St. Brendan the navigator. Mm-hmm. So uh, to distinguish it and to make it clear that it's the St. Brendan who was a monastic and abbot in Galway in Ireland. Yeah. And uh, but who had completed this great legendary missionary journey as he sought for heaven and the legendarium of St. Brendan's pretty extensive. So uh, it talks about monsters and saying mass on the back of a whale and, and things like that. But ultimately, it's a story of great faith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Everyone's recognizing my face right now. <laughs> my mouth just dropped. <laughs> sorry about that. Doesn't seem normal to you. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a it's a great legend. Um, he made several missionary journeys, and as well as founding a monastery, he actually founded monasteries all over Ireland. And before the coming of Saint Patrick, who kind of booted out all the uh, previous saints of Ireland, who were recognised as the twelve apostles of Ireland, uh, and became kind of the figurehead. Um, he was one of those twelve apostles of Ireland, and so much revered in Galway and and across Ireland. And uh, so we try to keep our missionary going uh, as well. You know, our missionary journey going every day. Awesome. And from your accent, I'm guessing you're from Newark, <laughs> New Jersey, or Newark? Ohio, or Newark, yeah. Ohio. Yeah, yeah Newark, Ohio. Yeah. Um, no. No, I'm originally further from, east. I'm from Cornwall, which yeah. is in the southwest of England little Celtic uh, enclave. I consider myself more akin to the Irish, the Welsh, and the Scots than to Anglo-Saxons, though I love my Anglo-Saxon brothers and sisters very much. Um, But just in terms of my uh, kind of genetic inheritance, that's where I come from. How long have you been a priest? 27 years. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you. When I moved to, thank you. Well, when I moved to America, I had hair and no beard. Uh, and my hair was dark, and now my hair is white or gray or sandy or however way you want to put it. And I, for this time of year, I have a beard. So, how long have you been pastor at St. Brendan the Twelve Navigator? Years. Twelve so, years. Yeah, I twelve years now. I came in March of 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a great parish. It's so much going on. We're we're just blessed. We truly, truly are. And your other role with the diocese. Is it a vicar position? So I am uh, the uh, dean, dean of our okay. deanery, so a vicar for rain. And uh, so I help with um, local issues for the bishop, just working with the clergy and with the people of God just to further in- bring us together 
and to support one another. We know that, you know, we're living in incredibly trying times. And the more we support each other and build each other up, uh, then uh, then that's, a, that's obviously going to be a great thing. It's not like I'm a busybody just poking my nose into things. I, you know, I go when priests ask me and when the bishop asks me and we work together on mm. Kind of a, a, a mentor then to other priests? Uh, sort of, but more like a local representative of the bishop. I think that's what oh, the, okay. the dean's real focus is. Bishop can't be everywhere all at once. Though he seems like he is. Although he does, <laughs> indeed, he's amazing. Um, but it just gives, you know, uh, a local representative of the bishop who uh-huh. other priests can refer things to, but also who can represent the priest and look after uh, priest welfare and and things like that, too. So it's a great opportunity, great privilege. Outstanding. And Lori Crock, tell us about yourself. Good morning. Well, I'm a St. Brendan parishioner. Mm-hmm. Hey. Yay. <laughs> Very blessed to be here this morning with Father Bob, and the traffic was friendly, and the sun was shining. So Did you find a parking spot? Easy. Very nice. easy. <laughs> I'm actually glad to have Mother Cabrini, because I usually ask St. Anthony to find me the parking spot, because... Lost things are lost things, whether he they're people the or keys. parking spots. So yeah. I'm glad yeah. to have another intercessor yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was going to say the short north is the hardest place, too. Yes. Um, my adult children like right. to meet in the short north for dinner. My husband and I have to allow like half an hour, <laughs> go down a half an hour early just to find a parking spot. So mm-hmm. Now you're at St. Brendan. St. Brendan. And I'm involved in various ministries there. Um, one of those, which I'm... You know, it was really on my heart this morning is uh, called Anchored in Adoration. Of course, everything at St. Brendan, we have beautiful nautical themes. <laughs> so <laughs> people outside the parish will say, what's Anchored in Adoration? And I'm like, we're anchored to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a perfect name. And we're blessed that our pastor has been so just generous with um, allowing lay leaders to use their gifts to lead. And uh, we have witness speakers. We have parishioners give witness um, from the AMBO once a month, which is so beautiful. Like, it still moves my heart. We had a witness speaker last week. Just the impact of people in the pews speaking about, mm-hmm. like, how the, how they're walking with the Lord. Mm. And then giving that message of hope, always giving that call to action to us as parishioners. And then, of course, we have at, we have confession. Our priests are extremely generous with that sacrament. And we have uh, prayer teams. There. So we get to pray with people one-on-one with the Blessed Sacrament exposed. So it is just so powerful. And that's just one of, I want to say hundreds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like, like there it. are hundreds of beautiful, and I don't even want to call them programs, um, just ministries, different ways of involving lay people in their faith and our parish. And we're not alone. It's happening all over our diocese, as we saw on Saturday. Right, right. All, the... all rooted in prayer. All rooted in prayer. Amen. Yeah, Adoration is... Really, I feel like it's a key. Um, we have adoration. We're very blessed to have adoration Tuesday through Saturday. And I went in last week, just kind of walked in, and there was 10 or 12 people in the chapel. And that just was so uplifting to have mm-hmm. people showing up every day to pray in front of the Lord. It changes your hearts. It changes um, how, you, how you give, how you serve. And it changes your parish. It changes your families, your communities. But most of all, it changes your heart. It's beautiful. Well, so not every chapel has prayer teams with it. So I suppose that's uh, at a certain time of the day. Is- yes, prayer teams are new. This is, uh, well, Father Bob gave his yes, and Jen Rice, our uh, missionary discipleship director, 
um, was really adamant about having, you know, when you're sitting with Jesus, things are happening in your heart. Mm. And so we have the once a month Anchored in Adoration evening where we have teams. We always pray in twos in the back of church. So if people want to come for prayer, and it could be, you know, often it's in Thanksgiving for a gift, like Mm -hmm. a new grandbaby. Sometimes um, it's physical healing they want prayer for. Sometimes it's just something on their heart about their family. But it's so beautiful to have parishioners ministry to parishioners. And yes, Amanda, it's definitely a shift for Mm -hmm. lay people to be praying with other lay people. But the witness is beautiful. And then we have new friends. Like we have people now I see in the parish at Mass. I've prayed with them. I have a friendship with them. And so that's what we're called to do, uh, right? With missionary discipleship, that's our theme today, is to just give our hearts to people and walk with them. Mm -hmm. And that one-on-one is so powerful because believe it or not, Father Bob can't be (laughs) everywhere. Yeah. I'm not like the bishop. <laughs> He's got a few years less on him than me. <laughs> so, Yeah, so we're, we are talking about missionary discipleship. And Father, can you help us define some of these terms? We hear them a lot, mm-hmm. but I think it's helpful if we're on the same page with the definition. Yeah, right. So let's yeah. start with uh, disciple, discipleship. A disciple is a follower of someone. So in the ancient world, it was very common, uh, especially among the Greek philosophers and so on, for there to be, they would have disciples. Plato had his disciples. And they were really the people who kind of sat at his feet and listened to his wisdom and talked with him and learned from him. And so in our Christian context, a disciple is someone who sits like Mary at the foot of Jesus and listens. Um, we all are busy. We're all um, stretched from one end of the day to the other. And yet, as Laurie was saying, uh, to be a disciple is to spend that time sitting at the feet of Jesus, just adoring him and listening to him mm. and just wanting to be in his presence. And certainly when we three years ago built the um, the expansion, that, that my heart was very set on uh, building an adoration chapel where uh, it could be the kind of the anchor, the silent focus of prayer for disciples, for Christians who wanted to just sit with the Lord and be with the Lord. And for me, that's where the powerhouse, as it were, of the entire parish comes from. That's why I wanted it to be there, is that silent space. We don't even have praise and worship in that space. We do occasionally have uh, a very small funeral or uh, a very small wedding, and we have a daily mass, but... Other than that, that pace is totally dedicated to the one thing in this world that we are, we have lost sight of, and that is sacred silence at the feet of Jesus. So that's how I would describe a disciple, but mm-hmm. it's not just the, the sitting part, it's also the Martha part. And so to be a disciple is to be one who not only listens, but one who chooses to follow and to mold one's life on the one who is being followed, in this case, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so for me, you know, the terms, uh, the term disciple is, is very much that contemplative and the active part that we sit at the feet of Jesus and then we go forth to serve him. And it's the going forth to serve him that makes us missionaries. Mm, mm-hmm. So Jesus, uh, you know, at the end of the gospels gives us that command, go and make disciples of all the nations. And so, you know, it's not enough for us to say, well, I'm a disciple and, you know, I'm happy being a disciple and everybody else can just do what they want and we can just watch them slipping off the side of the world. And, you know, it doesn't really matter. Well, that's that's not what we've been called to do. That's not the commandment of Jesus. That's not 
where the Lord is wanting us to be and what is wanting us to do. We're called to be missionary disciples, those who are disciples who are on mission to make other disciples each and every day. And what, what's our mission territory look like? Well, our missionary territory is our home and our family. The family, we are constantly reminded by the church, by successive popes, that the family is the heart of the church. And the domestic church is immensely important and that we have to spend more time uh, investing and building up that community. And then, of course, that community goes out because, again, uh, having served each other, having grown together, they then take that wisdom into school, into um, high school, into workplaces, into friendships, and so on. And so it's like a ripple effect. You, you cast the stone into the middle, and the stone is the stone of faith, and then it ripples out. And as these ripples go out, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the impact uh, is incredible and can be much bigger than we would ever think of. Uh, just by ourselves being disciples and being faithful. Now, is this work then of being a missionary disciple known as evangelization? Yes, I would say it is evangelization, but we have to be careful not just to see that as proselytizing others and going out and proclaiming the kerygma, which is very, very important. Mm -hmm. But it's also, as we were really learning from so many of the speakers uh, last Sunday, Saturday, was that it's also about accompaniment you know, you can't really catechize somebody until you've spent time accompanying them. And Dr. Delatore's talk was so impactful, the examples he gave of people who just were, they, they were different. And because they were different, other people might have just, including ourselves, might have kind of kept them at a distance or pushed them away. And that just that willingness to just go up and engage with them at the level they are at and to accompany them until they are ready to say, what is it about you? You intrigue me. And then we can start catechizing. Then we can start proclaiming the kerygma. Then we can start evangelizing. But we have to accompany first. We're talking with uh, Lori Crock and Father Bob about missionary discipleship. Uh, actually, I like how you, Dave, you asked the question, is the work evangelization then? And I, I think what immediately goes off in my mind is sometimes that word can be so intimidating. Mm -hmm. And this idea of like, well, what does that look like? And uh, you know, the bishop reiterated in his talk that the church exists to evangelize. Mm -hmm. And honestly, sometimes what happens in my mind is, I don't know if I've grown up actively seeing that. And mm -hmm. then how do I go out and do that? So sometimes... Yeah, intimidating comes to mind. But then in Dr. De La Torre's um, talk, he did share just the simplicity of, of mm -hmm. some of the people who evangelized. Mm -hmm. That young boy who just went out and smiled yeah. to people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's encouraging. Um, and I what I liked what he said was people are attracted to Christ, and so we can be Christ. And some of Christ's hallmarks were, were joy and and uh, authentic compassion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that so often we do tend to see that word evangelization as this big word that is for professionals. Mm. It's for yeah. the priests, it's for the religious, it's for the deacons. It's, you know, but as Laurie was telling us earlier, as she was introducing herself, 
It's actually about just sharing good news hmm. and sometimes walking and accompanying those in prayer or otherwise who need good news or who are lost or who are wounded and broken. And just that accompanying them can be transformative for them because it opens hearts that are locked shut and they're not locked shut anymore. And so as a result, then you can actually start to just share what you know about the Lord. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, please don't ever do a theology treatise. <laughs> That's the last thing anybody wants. Those of us who have written theology papers many, 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 many times um, would tell you that's not the way to win hearts to the gospel. But it's about being yourself and showing that you're in love with Jesus and doing that every day. And sure, none of us are confident when we first start to introduce ourselves to somebody or to share who we are. Uh, a boy and a girl going out on a date were incredibly nervous at least the first two or three times. I mean, poor Cam was uh, incredibly nervous for a year, I think. When, when oh, come on. Is that right, Cam? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no, that's not actually true. They were friends before they started dating, but I just had to get that in there. <laughs> Cam and Bailey are also parishioners at St. Brendan's. It's the St. Brendan's Day, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, but it's, there is that nervousness, but if we... If we feel drawn to really, I, I really, I just need to do this, then as St. John Paul the, the Great tells us, don't be afraid. Just just get to know that person, get to introduce that person, invite them to come to Mass. I have a parishioner who's just started college, it's a freshman, um, and uh, has started dating, and dating a boy who's not Catholic, but who's a great guy, and... Uh, and uh, he was at Sunday Mass yesterday evening uh, and was helping to uh, usher. <laughs> he was kind oh, of, wow. his, yeah. uh, her dad was like, I need help. Uh, so, and he said he enjoyed it. And, but she, they go to, he's going to SBO groups. He's going to uh, the Newman Center with her for Mass and Adoration on Tuesday nights. And so all, all she's doing is, she's not like saying, you've got to be a Catholic mm -hmm. if you want to date me. She's saying, hey, I love Jesus. And I want, uh, can, can we just go and see Jesus together? Mm. And can I help you to know Jesus more? Mm -hmm. And that's what it's really, really about. Mm -hmm. the, the story that we were talking about uh, that uh, Dr. Marlin shared was a young man named Austin mm -hmm. who was always smiling and uncomfortably so. I guess, right? I mean, to some of the, the kids in his school, and, and um, they didn't know what to make of him. Mm -hmm. And he was a, a bit of an outcast because awkwardness, or he didn't have much to say, but his smile was always there. So Marlon asked Austin's mom, you know, find out why Austin is always smiling. And if, paraphrasing, he did it because he thought people needed joy and that his smile, he would purposely seek out those that looked like they needed it the most. And he would just smile into them. And it really sounded like it became a movement then in that school, mm -hmm. that, that contagiousness right. of, uh, of just being kind and inviting to other people. And then, from there, they found out that the source of his joy was Jesus Christ. And those words came much later. Did, 
I remember that right? Is mm-hmm. that is that what you mm-hmm. took away from it? Yeah, yeah. That that he sought out those who seemed to be suffering or seemed to be lacking joy, which seemed to be quite a bit of people in his school. But then, yeah, that transformed into people also. I as as Dr. Marlin was painting that picture, I just it visually to me came to me that just like this dead place coming to life just because this one boy decided to bring his smile, bring his authentic joy. Uh, And how easy is that, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. But how much of a transformation it made. Mm -hmm. I actually had the ability to practice that yesterday. I was a welcomer for Mass. So your role is just to smile and welcome them into the door. And it's funny because when you're rushing in from, you know, it's cold and you're rushing and you're bringing your family along. Sometimes it can be challenging to get there, but I just tried to be that. I thought about his mm-hmm. talk and I thought, thought about that young man. Just smile. Just like oh, hopefully they can just feel Christ's peace when they enter these doors. And then people come up and talk. So that ministry of a smile, that ministry of being a friend, of being a friendly face is so powerful. I would actually say that's probably one of the most moving ministries that I'm involved with. And it's so simple. Mm-hmm. And so hidden, really. Mm-hmm. Um, what struck me from Dr. De La Torre's talk, too, was that young man that came in seeking guidance. And Dr. <laughs> M asked him who he had helped today. Yeah. So the wow. context of that was I, this gentleman was told, oh, you need to go to talk to, talk to Dr. Marlin. So he walks in and he says, okay, here I am, talk to me. And he's like, whoa, what, what am I supposed to say to him? Where's this coming from? And and like you said, Lori, um, he, the question that Dr. Marlin asked him was, who have you helped today? And he was perplexed by that question. Yes, but Dr. Marlin had the wisdom right from the Holy Spirit to sit and wait and give that man as much time as he needed to answer that question. And that's a question I think Christ is asking all of us. Mm-hmm. Who have we helped today? What? How are we spending our time? Are we staying united with Christ? Are we trying to seek holiness in our everyday activities? But so much wisdom in that act of being patient, that Dr. Marilyn was patient and waiting and listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing this young man to really search his heart. Mm-hmm. And in our rush society, I just thought that was such a powerful That's exactly image. the word that came to me was patience, patience. from both of those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then Dr. Marlin went on to share that it took maybe eight sessions, almost six hours or of each about. And yeah, patience, huge. And it wasn't until that that session that he said, okay, well, um, kind of started to open up and actually mm-hmm. trust him. And so it took a while. It did. But the, yeah, right. The virtue of patience, it was so, and I know he had to be, he was working in a school, I think at the time. Mm-hmm. And so he had to be busy, had a full schedule, but mm-hmm. that he had the wisdom and that the Holy Spirit prompting to just wait. And that yeah. just really struck my heart to just be more patient with the people God places in my life. They're not on, we're all on different points on the journey. And to just really be seeking that, um, the voice of the Holy Spirit, to be uh, really tuned in to what we're called to do for that one person, that ministry of one, that person who's right in front of us. Mm. I was speaking to uh, a lady that leads one of the RCIA programs in our, in our parishes and just asking how the, you know, what, what what's the class look like? And she told me the story of this uh, woman, I think her name was Stephanie, who... Uh, was raised Orthodox, uh, 
Jew, as, a, as an Orthodox uh, Jew, and has been journeying towards Christianity and looking at a lot of different places. And um, somehow she ended up at St. Matthew's, had never been to a Catholic, had never been to a mass, never been inside of a Catholic church, but was compelled, obviously, by the Holy Spirit to visit and found out when you're called the office, found out this, about this thing called RCIA when it was happening and everything. But she didn't know she had to register or, or you know, let people know that she was coming. So she just showed up. Uh, my friend ran into her walking the halls at, at this uh, parish and thought that Stephanie was looking for uh, a class for her child. <laughs> you know, and, and, and she says, no, it's for me. And it has these letters like, O-I-A-C-R. And Jen's like, no, it's, you know, R-C-I-A. And she's just been coming every week now, attending these classes uh, and, and just learning. And my friend has said that uh, they've gone out for nachos now three times just to talk mm-hmm. about... Uh, about things, about Beautiful. life, and, mm-hmm. and and about the faith. But there's that investment again mm-hmm. uh, in into somebody else's life, accompaniment, and and patience, and they're willing to walk together in in this you know journey of discovery, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Father Bob and I have something in common. We're both converts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was Presbyterian, and I met my husband in college at Miami of Ohio. And I met him. He was an RA, so he had a larger room, so he had a nice gathering on a Friday night. And then, no, it was Saturday night, because then he said, hey, would you like to go to Mass with me tomorrow? And I was like, wow. I had met, I was not I was a Presbyterian, but not active in my faith in college. And I said, wow, I've never been to Catholic Mass. No one's ever invited me. And I said, are we going to breakfast afterward? And he said, sure, I'll take you to breakfast. I mean, I said, off campus, because he's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So that was my first experience, that invitation from him. And I was just so, he was gracious and kind in our first meeting anyway, but still to take me to mass. And then a few days later, he said, well, I have to go home. My sister is having her first communion. He's, his sister's 14 years younger. And I said, wow, he's family. He loves the Lord. And I said, well, what's First Communion? So he didn't even know it. He was evangelizing me <laughs> on our second and third date, mm-hmm. essentially. So that just invitation, that just being authentic, just you know, real, realizing, just come as you are, right? You don't have to do anything special. I think that's what I took away from the conference. Just be you. Just mm-hmm. be real about what's important to you and living your faith in a way that um, just brings out the joy that you have for Jesus. I think often we kind of get intimidated by, oh, like, should we share that? Or will that make them feel awkward? Or, you know, but honestly, I think that's a temptation from the devil. Because I like what how you shared it, Lori, is just if you're just authentically you and you're like, oh, yeah, this is, this is what I do, then it's not awkward, right? Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> and authenticity, it's always important Mm -hmm. but i think now in 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 this world in this culture when there are so many lies you know 
ever everywhere swimming around um that in itself is so powerful just to be honest and authentic to whoever we're talking to amanda i mean with young people young adults i mean I, i does that resonate I, I think so. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you people kind of joke in their talks, you know, especially um, people who do young adult ministry or, or um, youth ministries, that the, they could kind of smell out unauthentic people, right? And um, I mean, Bishop even shared during his talk is young people aren't inspired by the church sometimes because they don't always see authenticity, you mm-hmm. know, that... Um, in our in our own sinful lives, sometimes we can be hi- hypocrites, but uh, you know we we work with ourselves and we try our best to be authentic witnesses of Christ, so that others are drawn to it. I think I think that's an important thing to remember: is living our faith well with with joy and authenticity, authentic compassion. Um, people will will know that they are loved if if we're living that out. And they'll be attracted to to our joy. So, mm-hmm. and Father, Saint Brendan's has a school. Yes, a thriving school. Oh yes, we're full. <laughs> we're blessed. <laughs> we have five hundred sixty five students. Yeah. We have waiting lists in seven grades. So uh, we're collaborating now with Saint Margaret's as a result of Real Presence, Real Future. Uh, to build up and uh, their preschool, so it'll be a feeder for us as well, uh, and that's going really successfully. They'll have a full-time preschool at St. Margaret's next year, which is wonderful. Um, and uh, but you know, again, missionary discipleship. What does that look like in a school of right. elementary kids? And uh, so we're we've been exploring that. Gosh, at least six or seven years <laughs> at St. Brendan's now, and we've we've taking different approaches with it so for example we have an all-school mass every week um from the moment we started having a large contingent of children going to catholic youth summer camp i started to make especially middle schoolers uh, we started to make the school mass uh, liturgy more a kind of a flavor of damascus so similar type of songs and things because we want the kids to take that kind of mountaintop experience that they might get at Damascus, which can't be continued in the parish. I mean, it's like Moses coming down from from the mount, mountain. You know, his, his face shone so brightly it had to be covered. But over time, it fades. And so that's true for all of us, too. And so um, we try to give them those little glimpses into it that helps them to reconnect that and to live that in the, the school and the parish environment as well. Um, so we've done that. We have a house system uh, with four American, North American saints um, as the patrons of each house. And the idea of the houses are that they promote and increase virtue in the children. Uh, that, and they're across all the grades. So um, Kateri House, for example, has kindergartners right through eighth graders. And once a week, the house <laughs> fantastic. you know, periodically the houses come together. I think it's once every two weeks now. Um, but the houses come together uh, and they do service projects or they have a learning um, thing. The next thing I'd love to, to do with that is to start to introduce bringing a blessed sacrament in so that we start in the school to develop their understanding again of what adoration is. Um, 
Father Stinnett, I asked him to start that with the middle schoolers and our new middle school teacher. They're doing that currently once a month. Um, the Blessed Sacrament is processed into the middle school, and then um, the children have a half hour of adoration, time to pray, to journal. They're ex- excited mm. about it. And so I'm about to, um, next week or two, to start in January, going to be doing the same with kindergarten, first and second grade. So that, uh, again, at, you know, a kindergartner, attention span is probably going to be 10 or 15 minutes and there is not going to be silent adoration. I mean, you're going to have to kind of lead them and talk to them about Jesus is here and what do we need to talk to Jesus about? and What do we need to, you know, what needs do we have? You know, and, you know, if a child says, well, my cat is sick, I'd like to pray for my cat. We'll pray for the cat. So, you know, that pastoral accompaniment again, that helps them to develop this connection with God in the Eucharist. And then um, as time goes on, the intention is then that once we go through this period of uh, accompaniment and acclamation, then eventually the ideal is to that they will go down, even the kindergartners will go down to the Adoration Chapel for a short period of adoration um, once every couple of weeks and then come back. So we're building, again, that Eucharistic heart that is central because that's so much part of what missionary discipleship is. Tim Gankowski was saying, reminding of that in his wonderful talk last Saturday afternoon. And um, just having this Eucharistic heart that will then take us out in discipleship, having been nourished by the Lord ourselves to nourish others, is so impactful. Father Bob uh, Penhollerick and Lori Crocker here in the cafe with us this morning. So the, these households then include students from eighth grade down to kindergarten. Yep. What what great modeling that is. Hey, when you think of a kindergartner, the older kids are the second graders. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But but then to also be exposed all the way up to yeah. uh, to eighth graders and for the eighth graders or the older kids, the uh, ability to just to be friends and models. To be friends and models. And each of the houses has house leaders. Mm-hmm. So they're finishing their probationary period right now. So this coming Wednesday, I'll probably pin them. So I had little shield pins <laughs> made because each of the houses has a shield that we designed and a tiny saint. Um, Ignatius uh, Saint Isaac Yogues was not actually created, so we helped design the tiny saint for Saint Isaac Yogues. No oh, way! You reached out to well. the yeah. tiny saint company. Yeah, well, we worked with them, and so uh, it's great because he has a tomahawk in his head. Um, it's really awesome. So uh, and you know, and so we have those, and the little kids love them especially. Yeah, but then um, yeah, we just continue to to allow the older children to model, and then. Uh, the uh, seventh graders apply to be leaders of the houses. And then the teachers have set a criteria based again around behavior, virtue, being a good example to others and so on. And they take that. And then uh, about this time of year, I pin them. So we have each of the houses, the color and a shield. And so it's the color of, uh, of their house with their the, the shield on it. And they get to wear that on their school uniform every day. Have you heard from the parents? Because uh, I would imagine all these kids are going home with so much excitement Yeah. around this. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, if you get a middle schooler coming home to you, what did you do today? Did you have fun in school? Nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's That still happens. That's still normal. It's like in Blood Out of Stone at Mass when I'm walking around doing a conversational homily with them. Uh, the little kids, of course, are excited about everything. We're such a joy. They're so open. They're so much sponges, uh, and that's such a blessing. 
um, just that depending on their stage of life, like all of us, you mm-hmm. know, as to where they are and and what they're willing to to take on. But certainly, there's a great uh, there's a great desire to be leaders of the houses. The houses are considered very important. Um, uh, we have four houses, and we have something like I want to say forty house leaders. So, mm-hmm. so but we had like the int- almost the entire middle school applied to be. Oh, beautiful! Um, because it is recognised as something important, and and, th- and they get they get pulled out periodically too. So as house leaders, they'll meet and they'll talk about what are we going to be doing in our next house meeting, and how are we going to be you know working with the little kids. So they might be making um, little rosaries or prayer cards, and the older kids are working with the younger kids, and then the younger kids get to take something home, and mm. and so it's just building this the sense of Christian character in in the students in a very kind of informal way. It comes back again to what is evangelization. Evangelization isn't all what you're reading in a textbook. Evangelization is helping somebody to encounter Jesus in a new way. And mm. so all these things can be incredible sources of evangelization. And what Laurie and the prayer team are doing and um, the, the women's ministries we have going and all those, uh, the men's ministries and Rescue Project and um, the Chosen series, and <laughs> last year we did Called and Gifted. And, but we're always looking for opportunities to help people discover their gifts and then to exercise them um, so that we're all missionary disciples. It's not the priest. It's not the deacon. It's mm-hmm. not religious sisters. Um, it's everybody. Amen. I have, a, I have a quick funny story that the Vine, which is our high school mm-hmm. youth group, when we as adults were forming our prayer teams and we were making sure we were following guidelines and we were practicing praying together and a couple of high schoolers were like, we already, we do that. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it's kind yeah. of natural for the kids, but as adults, sometimes we have to just remember to be childlike, let that guard down and learn. I actually said, well, I, I would like to know how you do it. Show me how mm-hmm. you pray together. And it was just so beautiful to learn from the high schoolers. Um, and then one other thing I want to say, and I'm involved in the care and consolation ministry, and so I, I do a little service at a retirement center, and there's a point where I make a little reflection on the readings and gospel, and we have an interactive um, discussion. Like, they'll chime in. It's so beautiful. They'll comment on this reading or how it moved them, and I'm just, it's just, <laughs> I I'm like, I'll just let them talk. <laughs> it's, it's so much better. But people have so much inside at all mm-hmm. ages and stages of life. And it's I think that's an important part of being a disciple is just, sometimes just sit back, mm-hmm. right, and just let them, let us hear what's percolating in their heart because there's always a lot more there mm-hmm. than we realize. And we're finding that too with our Faith Formation Program. We use uh, the Pathways model, which is a series of boxes. Most of the formation uh, in faith formation is done by the parents in the home, mm. supplemented by monthly meetings, not only for the children, but for the parents as well. And um, that model, we've had so many people express their joy at actually sitting down. Some of them are incredibly nervous and frightened by it. Mm-hmm. But once they get going, we give them as much support as they need. They start to discover this is the joy to be talking about faith with my child because so many parents don't do that at home. Mm-hmm. They go to Catholic school or they go to faith formation and they're doing their church stuff and 
we got, we're too busy to do everything else. We're often too busy even to have a meal together. Right. Well, here we are putting the focus again back on the domestic church and back on encouraging people. And it's been a joy to see parents come up in tears almost to say, I'm learning so much from my kids right now. That's They're what, leading that, me in the faith. It's, yes. it's, it's wonderful. Yes. I think that, well, that, that's one of the real fruits of having programs like what you have in the parish as well as CYSC in Damascus, mm-hmm. where it, it's the child, actually, that's the missionary disciple mm-hmm. Bringing, mm-hmm. bringing Christ mm-hmm. into the home. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember when I was in Cambridge as a priest in England, um, the pastor there uh, was pastor uh, was the chaplain to a, an all-Catholic girls' school, which was a few blocks away. And uh, there was one particular girl, a 12-year-old, who I think she started when she was 10, um, saying, I want to become Catholic. I want to become Catholic. None of her family were Catholic. I want to be Catholic. And in the end, her parents went to see him, and he said, Okay, so if when she turns 12, if she still wants to be Catholic, I'll bring her into the church. We'll prepare her and bring her into the church. And sure enough, 12 came. She still wanted to be Catholic. Um, she came into the church, and her mother came in with her. Mm. And the next year, her father and three sisters came into the church as well. Wow. wow. Beautiful. So again, we, no matter what our age is, we could be 90 years old or nine we could be three or 30, it's still possible for us to be evangelizing. It's still possible for us to be missionary disciples. Father Bob, I can imagine that some of our friends listening are thinking, well, you know, my child doesn't have a program like that, mm-hmm. and, and I would like to maybe start working with them mm-hmm. or teaching them, but have no idea how to get right. started. Do you have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there are, if Generations is a wonderful resource to us here in the diocese, but there's also Ascension Press, Ignatius, um, lots of these, um, lots of these organizations and, and companies are now putting together materials that parents can use in the home. So, for example, one of the things I really like that's coming out at the moment, and I'm looking for more copies to add to the school library, are the, are the comic books so there mm. are these comic books, and they're incredibly well-produced, but they're about the lives of saints. Um, so it's amazing to see, you know, the ways in which we can, parents can still ha- go out and buy these materials and just make them available to their kids. And hopefully that would be the start of a conversation, like, oh, you're really enjoying that, that comic. What comic book? What, what's it about? Tell me what you like about it. And so that just starts natural conversations between parents and children. So even if uh, a parish is doing their faith formation uh, different or a parent has a child in a Catholic school and feels like, okay, they, they get religion every day, um, still making those connections for yourselves and researching and finding those materials is really easy to do. And uh, I just encourage everybody to do it. Our Sunday visitor now has, I've just ordered it, um, it's, like, it's almost like a jigsaw set of um, the altar with everything that goes on it. So I just ordered one of those. So I can go into kindergarten, first and second grade, and I can say, look what I've got. And we can talk about all the different things that are used at Mass yeah. and start again. Oh, that, that's, that's what happens when we go to church. So for parents, for catechists, for priests, for religious, for great lay people like Laurie, who is an evangelist as well, um, there are lots of things out there now that can help us to actually 
spark faith in others. Mm -hmm. And it's the sparking faith, I think, at the moment in a world we're living in, especially after last Tuesday's vote, mm -hmm. um, that is so important. Yeah. Because I think Catholics are starting to wake up to the fact that, gosh, the society in which we live um, has become indifferent to the Christian values that imbued it for so many centuries mm -hmm. and has become a truly secular society, just like most of the rest of the West. Uh, and uh, so we need to be active in doing these things in the home, at school, in faith formation, wherever. Mm -hmm. The uh, comic books reminded me, I, I saw not too long ago, a video game developer mm -hmm. is now um, crowdfunding. It's called the Acutus Game. Mm -hmm. So it's Carlo Acutis leading mm -hmm. young people on a tour uh, to oh, different Catholic worlds and getting into the lives of the saints. And, and that's brilliant. And, you know, why, why wouldn't we be developing you know, using yeah. our using our talents, using those gifts to uh, to bring people right. to the Lord through various different yeah. mediums. Yes, so, absolutely. I love it. I mean, Carlo Acutis is so accessible to um, and just not you know the, the the young kids, but you see the devotion among Catholic moms to Carlo mm -hmm. it, yes. it, uh, is just exploding. So and that's the beauty of all of our saints, all, all of our, all of our friends, uh, right. you know, there's a saint for everybody. Yeah. And that none of our gifts are excluded. Like, I really hope there's a young person out there who wants to do video game development and does more of that. That'd be excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Father Bob Pinhollerick and Lori Kroc in the cafe with us this morning. H have you seen, uh, I mean, being kind of in this world it it seems like there's always new materials coming out new programs new uh things to help us to to evangelize H have you seen an increase over over the last 10 years or so i'd uh, say so yes yeah um it i think the materials are are moving beyond like textbook type materials you can have at home or um just kind of storybooks and it's becoming much more expressive of the desire and the need to evangelize and share the faith. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think these companies are doing a great job at really helping us to to nurture our children from the very beginning and help them to grow in faith as they grow. And certainly, you know, it, having a, a school is a huge blessing. Having a, an amazing faith formation is a blessing. But at the end of the day, no matter what we do, if in the home, the discipleship is not being pursued at home. If parents are not being missionaries to their children, mm -hmm. if they're not helping them to grow in the faith, then um, then what we do will certainly have an impact, but nothing like the impact that a father and a mother will have on leading their children. Hmm. So important. One of the thing, it, also just the, the the creativity that we all possess. Uh, to to bring faith into different areas of just everyday life. I know Lori with Soulcore, uh, putting fitness with faith. What a, what a great idea! Explain yeah. Soulcore. Soulcore is we pray the Rosary with movement, so it's gentle stretching, strength, and movement. So it's you know all fitness levels, but it attracts people that maybe it attracts groups that like fitness that want to pray. And then 
prayer warriors who might not be active, so it adds another dimension. And what I love about Silk Warriors is it's so contemplative. I know it doesn't sound that way if you're doing push-ups to the Our Father, but they're not saying the prayers out loud. I lead the first part of the prayer, and then we're all praying the second part of the prayer in our hearts. So it gives us a chance to pray, focus on our movement, just give thanks for our bodies, which is so important in this day and age. Um, it has been a way to evangelize to women that, it's mostly women, of course, families and some men. I haven't had any priests yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still challenging the priests out there to come and do Solkor. <laughs> but it just, um, <laughs> it's just a different way of praying. And I just know all of us have, I was a strength coach and I just, the Lord kept saying like, bring other people to this, bring people into exercise and prayer together because join together it's just powerful. And you never know. The Lord is so amazing. Like we all have different gifts and talents and that he found something that I love that I could bring to people to introduce the Blessed Mother. Because surprisingly, like a lot of women in my class, because I lead soul Corps around the diocese, didn't have a relationship with Mary. Mm -hmm. So we'd have a conversation afterward about the Blessed Mother. Like, do you have a relationship with, how do you build a relationship with Our Lady? And so it's what happens after class. It's kind of like Father Bob was saying. You just plant those seeds and just you watch the curiosity, that holy curiosity that sprouts. And so I've developed some really deep friendships with people. I've been leading since 2016 with women's retreats and youth groups. And um, I had a couple's date night one time, which was so beautiful. The men all dressed like for working out. They all had like sweatbands and <laughs> wristbands and the women were like, <laughs> honey, this is prayer. And they're like, we're, we're doing push-ups. This is exercise. <laughs> <laughs> but by the end, we were laughing. We we're, you know, they had a little social afterward. Everybody received from it. The Lord is so good. Um, I just, it's just such a gift to be able to bring people to Jesus through exercise, right? And so I just would challenge people, don't limit yourself. The Lord will work through everything and anything. If you just give, I call it that little yes, that little yes to just enter into something you're, you don't know. Like I go into parishes where I, I'm not a parishioner. I don't know what to expect. I don't know how many people. I don't know how they're going to receive it. But just know that like everybody's hungry for the Lord. So mm -hmm. you just go where you're called and you just do the best you can. And like I said, I have now friendships. I feel like even though I'm a St. Brendan parishioner, I have I belong to the whole diocese. Mm -hmm. That's great. Our friends would most likely also recognize your voice from Holy and Healthy Minutes. Mm -hmm. So your love of health and fitness, your talents for writing kind of came together in these, uh, in these reflections. How did those get started? Well, I was praying about it because um, I love this radio station and I'm a board member and I just kept praying, how can I help, you know, further the mission that the Lord has prompted me to do? And so when I was exercising or leading people in exercise, I kept correlating it to my spiritual life. So, so a warm up before you exercise is kind of like when you, you sit in your prayer space and you get your Bible out and you're ready to pray. And I kept seeing these correlations. And so I asked Bill Messerly, the executive director here, what do you think about a holy and healthy minute where I kind of talk about the correlations between our physical life and our spiritual life? And of course, he was open. He loves different voices, different messages. So you don't know how you're going to reach people. So you, you know, you just let the Holy Spirit lead. And so I started writing. Blessed Frasati was my 
Inspiration Saint, and so is Mother Teresa, which is interesting, right? Because they're so different, mm-hmm. but they're not. Because Blessed Frasati, while he had physical strength, and he would evangelize people in phys- during physical activities like climbing a mountain, um, St. Mother Teresa and her frailty was probably the strongest person. I, you know, as someone who actually, I look at her and see the physical work that she did to be able to save souls. Mm-hmm. What an inspiration. And so I wanted to write about that. And that's what turned into a Holy and Healthy Minute. Where but, do you do the writing? Um, at home, usually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the Adoration Chapel, but usually I'll set aside some time in my little prayer corner and write. And I just love, I just have to say this, Dave, about you. When I write it, and then when I'm coming in to record it, because I record them ahead of time, he won't let me change words. If I'll look at it and I'll say, well, maybe I should reword that. And he's like, nope, nope. You and the Holy Spirit wrote it. You leave it as it is. <laughs> I mean, if it's grammatically incorrect, right? We're, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to change it. But I just love that you honor that uh-huh. those words are in combination with prayer and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Father Bob Penhollerick and Lori Crock. Final words, what would your encouragement be to our friends that uh, that don't feel equipped you know that are that are introverts or shy or um, uncertain that they really can be missionaries I think what I would say is I go back to thinking about as you were saying that the desert fathers and the desert fathers um, were really a group a group of ascetics who went out into the wilderness, out into the desert, and lived solitary lives of prayer. Um, And they weren't out particularly talking to anybody. They just wanted to pray. And I remember in seminary always being taught the importance of their ministry was that they protected the walls. So the devil's, you know, always going to be on our shoulder. As as soon as the Lord or the Holy Spirit speaks to us, the devil's going to be there trying to put doubts in our minds. And we need that group of people who just like anchored. Uh, Mm -hmm. We need to be anchored in the prayer of the entire community. And so there are those. And their ministry is to pray, to pray that the Lord will defend his church, the Holy Spirit will move in us. And that's a wonderful thing. And they should never be embarrassed or ashamed that they feel called to do that. The one thing to remember, though, about those hermits was that they attracted others. And so they, although they remained in the desert, people would go out into the desert to speak with them because they were gathering a sense of the presence of God just because they were so intimately connected to him all the time that they could offer, the Lord could speak through them. So, you know, but the Lord did that, allowed that to happen when they were ready. Same is true of St. Benedict. St. Benedict, when he lived in a cave, uh, people were attracted to this man who had given up all his wealth um, and everything and gone to live in a cave uh, to get away from Roman society and all the um, that was going on in that. And uh, but people were attracted to him. They'd go up <laughs> to his cave, to, you know, to find him. And so all those things, you know, no matter what our, we're called to, God will use us. Amen. Wherever we are, whoever we are, we have a role to play. Amen. So bring it to Amen. prayer. Thanks for being with us, friends. We'll be back tomorrow morning with Dr. Marlin as we continue our series 
on the Beatitudes. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. God bless you all. See you tomorrow.